The following audio is from Emmanuel Baptist Church. More information about Emmanuel is available at our website, www.myemmanuel.net. and I'm a freshman at the Link Youth Group here at this church. And one thing God has taught me recently is how He's God and He can do anything He wants and just if He will use me if I'm willing to do it. So one of the things I'd been doing was in my quiet time, I was looking through different scriptures about the different people in the Bible who were just so bold in their faith and even the smallest people, youngest people, um, did the most amazing things. And one way he's shown me this is that last month I got the opportunity to go on the Phoenix mission trip to Arizona and there it was really cool, it was a really fun experience and one of the days we had this reaching out opportunity and I had the opportunity to lead a woman to the Lord and at first I didn't want to do it at all but she I just felt God was pulling at my heart and so I did it and he did something amazing through just my little bit of obedience so she told me her story and it was just heartbreaking and I don't even really remember what I said to her but God just gave me the perfect words to say to her and to comfort her in this time of need that she just had. And it was a really cool lesson that I got to learn that God will do anything just with a little bit of obedience from His followers. And you can do that too if you just trust Him and do His calling. like that? Heather's a ninth grader, and uh, she talked about leading someone to the Lord. You can do that. That's something you can do. She talked about hearing God's voice, being obedient to God. Did you hear her talk about her her daily quiet time? And uh, Heather won't be in worship this morning. She's in uh, She's in life group right now, and then she'll be one of our kindergarten teachers at the 11 o'clock hour. And if you feel any guilt at all, you should. That should, that should make you think, ah, I, I shouldn't just be coming here for an hour, sitting, listening, and leaving. There's a place to serve. God wants to work in your heart and life. Each week, we've heard a testimony from somebody in our congregation. And then we're looking at a, a Bible character, and we're learning the principles of God. And we're kind of we're kind of going through it in order. We've got uh, last week we got to David. Well, after David and Solomon, there were a there were a whole bunch of bad kings. In fact, there's this phrase that appears in the Bible over and over again and says, "And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord." Or sometimes he didn't follow in the ways of David, his forefather, but he 
he followed in the ways of the Baals, or he, he became a cult worshiper, a demon worshiper in that sense. And, and, and it just gets worse and worse. And finally, Israel gets to the bottom of the barrel. They get one of the worst kings in terms of his morality and his life, his selfishness, his, his administration, and, and his wife is terrible. And you might know these names, Ahab and Jezebel. And they are the, they're the worst combination that Israel has ever had. And to this, to this terrible situation, God sends a prophet named Elijah. We don't really know where Elijah's from. He didn't go to seminary. He doesn't come out of the school of the prophets. He's called Elijah the Tishbite. The scripture says about him, he was hairy. Can you imagine? The, the word of God is going to remember something about you guys. And it writes, he was hairy. He's a, he's a duck commander looking kind of guy. He doesn't wear a suit and tie. He doesn't wear Pierre Cardin. He doesn't even wear flannel. He wears camel skin. And he's got a leather belt that's like a, it's like a weightlifter's belt. It's a big, wide leather belt. And he is a rough kind of guy. He and Ahab have tangled before. By the way, I'm going to be in 1 Kings 18 in just a second. If you want to get started there, that's where we're going to be, 1 Kings 18. They've tangled before, and Ahab hates this guy. Oh, he hates this guy because uh, Elijah speaks the word of the Lord to him, and he hates God. And so, of course, he hates God's prophet. Well, Ahab and Jezebel are just destroying the land, and uh, the, the morality's gone, and no one worships the Lord. And so God sends uh, Elijah into the court of the king. Now remember, you, you, you don't get to walk into the court of the king. It's like you don't get to walk in the Oval Office. You, you're invited, there's bodyguards, but Elijah, without being invited, walks right into into the court of the king, and this is what he says. He says, uh, because of you and your sin, he goes, it's not going to rain until I say so. And he walks out. Now, uh, somebody could stop at your house and uh, knock on your door and chew you out. Maybe they don't like you. Maybe they would say bad things to you. But if you say, it's not going to rain on your lawn until I say so, uh, you better be able to back that up, right? That's that's a little peculiar. And, and sure enough, it doesn't rain for one week or two. In fact, it doesn't rain for one month and then two. It doesn't rain for the first year and the second year and the third year. And the scripture says it hasn't rained for three and a half years. And God's trying to get Israel's attention. He's trying to turn Israel back, back their hearts back to him again. And they, and they don't see it. And maybe you've got friends like this. Maybe your testimony was like this. God was trying to get your attention. And the more he brought in just kind of the vice of life and squeezed you, the further you ran from God. And so that's what happens to Israel. He, he can't get their attention. And so finally God sends Elijah back to Ahab. I'm in 1 Kings. I'm in chapter 18. I want to start in verse 17. They meet. They're not in the court this time. Ahab's out looking for water. And when Ahab saw Elijah, verse 17, Ahab said to Elijah, Is it you, you troubler of Israel? And Elijah answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have, and your father's house, because you have abandoned the principles of the Lord 
and follow the Baals. Principle number one this morning. Talking about the principles of life. All of God's Word has principles for you. If you'll figure them out, it, it will change your life. Here's a life principle for us. Trouble comes when you abandon the Lord and you choose your own path. I, I want you to think about it. Trouble comes when you abandon the Lord and you choose your own path. It doesn't come some of the time. It doesn't come most of the time. It always comes. It's always going to come. Now, what God did for us, because He's our creator and designer, is He gave us the design manual. He gave us the owner's manual. He he told us exactly what we're designed for. You're designed for love. You're designed for peace, not stress. You're designed for joy, uh, not sadness. You're designed for meaning, you're designed for purpose. You're designed for fulfillment. God designed you for all these things, and so he knows how you should operate. He's, he's the one who created you. He designed you. And so he's given a, an owner's manual called the Bible, and the Bible's got these rules. They're laws. There's commandments in there to tell us how we should operate. And what do we do? We're like, well, I don't agree with these laws, or I don't think these laws apply to me. And so we choose to violate the laws. I heard, a, I heard a black preacher one time say, when you break God's commands, you don't break God's commands, they break you. And that's exactly what happens in the human experience. Because you see, trouble comes when you break God's commands. When you say, I, I don't really believe there's a God. And so there's all these laws. There's, the, there's a law uh, that tells us not to lie to each other. A command that tells us not to lie to each other. There's a, there's a command that tells us not to steal from each other. There's a command that tells us we shouldn't murder each other. We shouldn't take somebody's life because we don't like them. There's a command that says that we shouldn't uh, have sex with each other's wives, that we shouldn't be uh, promiscuous. It, there, there's a, a lot of commands about sexuality. It tells us that we're to be heterosexual and not homosexual. There, there are all these commands in Scripture. These are, these are laws. And what happens, in, in, in particularly in the culture that we live in, is people just go, I don't want to live my life by that. I don't like that law. I don't like that command. I'm going to do what I want to do. And what happens is it begins destruction, ruination. It brings trouble into their lives. Now, everybody kind of knows this. They just don't want to believe it. Let me see if I can use an illustration with one of the laws that God has given us. I want to talk about the law of gravity. You thought I was going to choose one of the Ten Commandments, didn't you? They're all God's laws, right? It doesn't matter whether they're scientific laws or spiritual laws. They're all God's laws. So let's use the law of gravity this morning, and let's just think it through for a second. I'm, uh, I'm coming over to your house to see you. Right as I get there, I, I notice that you are on the roof of your house. In fact, you're right there on the peak line, and I look at you, and to my dismay, you take off running down the roof of your house, and right when you get to the end, you go like this, and I'm like, oh, and I run around the side of the house. I find you laying in the grass and the lawn there, and I say, are you okay? And you say, no, I'm not okay. And I'm like, oh, man. I said, what happened? And you said, I, I've been asking God to bless me. And I, I can't believe that he didn't. And I said, what, what are you talking about? You said, I prayed this morning. I asked God to bless me. And I, I knew that this is something I wanted to do. And so he, but I don't even know if there is a God anymore. He doesn't hear my prayers. He doesn't answer my prayers. And I'm like, well, you... But you just jumped, and you go, yeah, I'm, you know, this is what I want to do. 
And I, I can't believe it, but we walk around the side of the house. You've got a ladder there. You climb back up the ladder again, and I'm... I, I don't even know what to say. And you take off and you run down the roof of your house. You get to the end. You go like this. And I run around the side. And you're, I go, are you okay? And you go, no, I think I broke my arm. And I'm like, I think it's because you're the violating the law of gravity. And you say, I don't want to hear your religious nonsense. You know, you're not supposed to. You go, hey, listen, that may be right for you, but it's not right for me. And you do it again, and I'm saying, listen, I don't think you should do that. I don't think that's going to work for you. And you do it again, and you jump, and I run around the side. I find you in the grass. You are busted up. You are hurting. And I say, I, you're, you're violating the law of gravity. And you say, you are not tolerant. I don't believe in that kind of God. A loving God wouldn't say that to me. And then you say to me, I self-identify as a flyer. What am I going to do? And what happens in this silly story that I'm telling is that you're going to jump off the roof until you can't, until you're all busted up. And, and by the way, those of you who think that pastors work one day a week, the little story that I just told you, this is what we do. We meet with people who have jumped against the laws of God, who have busted up their lives, and we try to point them to Jesus. And the principle here that I'm glad we were able to laugh at because now if we talk about spiritual principles and not the law of gravity, the principle is that trouble always, always, always comes when you defy God when you walk away from God, when you, when you turn your back on God, when you decide, I'm going to do what I want to do, it always, always ends up in trouble. Well, uh, here's how this story goes. There's a little fight back and forth about who's the one who's bringing on the trouble because Ahab doesn't believe it yet. And so Elijah says, here's what I think we should do, verse 19. I want you to send and gather all of Israel to me on Mount Carmel and the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. And uh, we're going to have a contest there. So Ahab sent for all the people of Israel. They gathered all the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and he said, how long do you go on limping? The, the, the translation there, go on limping, it's a Hebraism. It's hard to translate it. How long are you going to hesitate? How long are you going to remain uncertain? How long are you going to try to have this foot in heaven and this foot in the world? How long are you going to try to talk out of two sides of your mouth? We don't really know how to translate it, but you understand what it is. How long are you going to just go on trying to hold on to two different opinions? If the Lord's God, follow him. If Baal's God, follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. They wouldn't even, they wouldn't, they wouldn't even respond to that. They're trying to hold on to two things at the same time. He says uh, in verse 22, uh, I, even I, I'm the only prophet of the Lord left, but, but the Baal's prophets are 450 men. And by the way, uh, Jezebel wouldn't send her 400 prophets of Asherah. I think she had a bad feeling about this day. And says, here's what I want us to do. 
Let two bulls be given to us. Uh, let the prophets of Baal, the 450 prophets of Baal, let them choose a bull for themselves, cut it into pieces, lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. I'll take the other bull, I'll lay it on the wood, and I won't put any fire under it either. And you guys call upon the name of your God, little g. I'll call upon the name of the Lord, capital L. And the God who answers by fire, he'll be God. And then finally the people say, that's a good idea. That's well spoken. And uh, so uh, the, the prophets of Baal, they take this. This is a, this is a showdown at high noon. This is, uh, this, is, uh, this is gunfight at the OK Corral. This is, uh, this is, this is it right there. They're going to decide in this competition. And the prophets of Baal, by the way, are excited about this. Archaeologists have discovered little idols to Baal, and they have discovered several of them where Baal has lightning in his hands. You see, the, the prophets of Baal are thinking, that Elijah, he's stupid. He's getting our God right in his wheelhouse. I mean, this is what Baal does. They're, they're really quite pleased with this competition. And so uh, Elijah says in verse 25 to the prophets of Baal, uh, there's a bunch of you, so you go first. And you call upon the name of your God, but don't put any fire. We're going to let the God who answers by fire be God. So they took their bull, verse 26. They took the bull that was given them. They prepared it. They called upon the name of Baal from morning, whole morning, until noon. They prayed, O Baal, answer us. There was no voice. No one answered. They limped around the altar that they made. At noon, Elijah mocked them. Remember, Elijah is not your sweet, turn-the-other-cheek, wonderful community pastor. He is not that guy. Elijah mocks them. Here's what he says to them. He says, cry louder. I mean, he's a god, isn't he? He's musing. I I really don't even know what that means. Or he's relieving himself. I know exactly what that means. Hey, cry louder. Maybe he's in the bathroom. Uh, He's on a journey. Maybe he's asleep. He's got to be awakened. Well, believe it or not, they cried louder. (laughs) So they cried louder and they cut themselves as was their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed is the word gushed out upon them. Stop for just a second in the story. I want to give you a second principle here. I have, uh, I have stated this principle as simply and succinctly as I could because I don't want you to miss it. You can be sincere and wrong. We live in this kind of, we live in this participation trophy culture where we're all going the same way and God loves us all and it's all going to work out and as long as you're sincere and I'm sincere and you believe what you believe and I believe we're all going to make it and, and the world doesn't work that way and eternity doesn't work that way. And, and you already know this. It's like the law of gravity. I'm telling you stuff that you should... You already know it should make sense to you. It's just that we've been duped and deceived and lied to so long that we, we, start to, we start to think, well, yeah, you can do what you want and I'll do what I want. But there are laws that God gives us and there's truth that God gives us. And just because you sincerely believe what is false, your sincerity doesn't make what's false true. Let's say that... Uh, uh, I come to you, and you have a, a nut and a bolt. And uh, you are there, and I'm looking at you, and you're, you're going, you want to try to get that nut on that bolt, and you're turning it left. Right? 
and you're turning it left. And you sincerely want that nut on that bolt. And let's just use the story that we've read here. I watch you from morning until noon. And maybe about noon I get a little of the spirit of Elijah and I decide to mock you a little bit, huh? Hey, why don't you, why don't you turn it left faster? Why don't you turn it left harder? Why don't you just try to turn it left with your mind? The reality is, everybody in the room knows, righty-tighty, lefty-loosey. All you got to do to succeed, and by the way, in this particular illustration, it has nothing to do with sincerity. You just have to be right. If you turn it right, it will go on. Now that's just, that's just a, such a simple illustration But the point is, there's a whole bunch of people in this world, and God has said, in in effect, go right, and they're going left. Actually, yeah, I think that's true. You can stick with that in all circumstances, politics, everything. God says, go right, they're going left. And sincerity is not getting them the result that they desire. Because you can be sincerely wrong. How sincere are the prophets of Baal? They're so sincere, they, they, they believe so much that Baal can do this for them, that to show Baal their sincerity, they are cutting themselves, and the blood rushes out upon them. And here's one of the saddest verses in all of the Old Testament. The midday passed. They came to the time of the evening sacrifice, and there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. Um, I, I want you to know that there is a, there's one God, the God Jehovah. It's not a bunch of ways to him. You only get there through Jesus Christ. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And and I want you to know that when you know God and when you walk with God, the design of God is that you'll have all these things that God intended for you to have. You'll have a sense of direction. You'll have a sense of purpose. You'll have a sense of meaning. You'll have an eternity. You'll have a heaven reserved for you. You'll have the indwelling Holy Spirit. You'll have the ability to have unity and fellowship with other people instead of just being in division with them. You'll have the ability to overcome your sin and your selfishness. You'll have the power of the Holy Spirit to do that. You'll have a joy that's beyond anything you can imagine, a peace that passes understanding. All of these are for you. But if you don't know the one true God, if you haven't come to Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, if you've never experienced what his shed blood can do in your life, then in reality, you're without the one true God, and that life also has certain characteristics. We see them here in the prophets of Baal. Without the one true God in your life, there will be no voice of direction. There's so many people. The Bible uses this word, and it's perfect. They're lost. They're just lost. They don't know where they are. They don't know where they're going, and they don't know how to get there. Now, some of them are making good time, but they're, they're lost. And, and the Bible speaks of direction. And so they're listening to all these other voices for direction. And they've got their, they've got their internet website, and they've got their friends, and they've got their Facebook, and they're, they're looking for direction. And they're asking other, each other, what do you think I should do? 
I got no direction. You know, uh, direction's an interesting thing. People will give it to you. Have you ever noticed that? People who are also lost will tell you where they think you should go. And it's a crazy thing. And now we don't even need people to tell us where to go. We have phones that tell, to tell us where to go. I'm, I'm a little old school. You know, sometimes people are going to come to my house and I say, do you need directions? And I've had people kind of laugh at me like, no, pastor, I got my phone. I can find your house. People have never been to my house. say, I can find your house. And they do. And, and some of them, when they get there, they have a picture of the front of my house from Google Earth. But let's be honest. How many of you, let's, by a show of hands, we're actually going to do this. By a show of hands, how many of you have ever used your phone for directions and it did not work out for you? Can I see your hands? Yeah, look! And yet the next time you get directions, you're going to turn to your phone that's already proven unreliable. That's what the world does. They hear directions. And if Oprah says it, it must be true. If Dr. Phil says it, it's the Bible, right? And God has given you directions. But without the one true God, there's no direction in your life. There's also no answers to life. It says there was no voice, no answers. Without God, there is no answers. How How do you know what life is about? How do you know the purpose of life? How do you know what this life does in relation to the next life, which is eternity? How do you know how to get to eternity? How do you know what's right and wrong without God, without God's Word, without His Son, without His Holy Spirit called the Teacher? There are no answers to life. So people are lost. They've got no truth. They've got no answers. And then the last phrase says, and no one paid attention. It's an interesting phrase, isn't it? We discover here that there's no awareness of God's presence for many of them. They, they really do not have a sense of the divine presence of God. In fact, some of them have surmised there's no God. Some of them have surmised there's a God, but whatever he did with the world, he did it, and then he stepped all the way back. Some of them just think, you know what? You, you choose your own way. You choose your own morality. And whatever I think is right for me, that's what I'll do. Because they have no sense of the presence of God. And yet, in every single one of these character studies that we've done, and we started with Joseph, and we got to Moses, and we went all the way through. You know what we discover about each one? They had the abiding presence of God. Joseph wasn't, he wasn't caught in a quandary when Mrs. Potiphar came to him with her bedroom door open. He already knew what he would do. He'd already done it. He didn't go like, wow. Those Egyptian eyelashes are really something. He, he already knew, I'm going to run. I'm going to run from the evil. I'm going to run to God. He already had a plan. He already knew what he's going to do because he had this presence of God. He actually said, how can I sin against God? He had something of that. Only the, only the true believer and the one true God, Yahweh, the Lord, Jehovah, only that believer has an understanding of that. Well, uh, the story continues here. So, uh, verse 30. Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. And all the people came near to him. And uh, it's the evening. By the way, I just want to remind you, the, the prophets of Baal went all day. They went all morning. They went past noon. They went all afternoon. They've come to the evening. And the scripture says, And he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. You know, uh, Mount Carmel was a holy place for the Israelites. Um, There was an altar to the Lord there. 
But over the years, it's just been pulled down. Somebody needed a rock for this and a rock for that, and nobody, nobody was ever up there in prayer. Nobody was ever up there in sacrifice. And so it just it wasn't an altar anymore. And so Elijah has to stop and repair the altar of the Lord. Listen here, principle number four. There are times when you need to stop and repair the altar of the Lord in your life. Uh, I want to talk to believers here just for a second. Believers, most believers don't ruin their life because they wake up one morning and they go, I think I'm going to rob a bank today. Most believers don't do that. That's not the greatest temptation in your life. You might say, Paul, you don't know how bad my finances are. Okay, it's not this, maybe the second greatest temptation in your life. But most people don't do that. No kids that are over in Bible study right now are saying, when I grow up, I, I want to be homeless and an alcoholic. They don't do that. That's, that's, not, that's not what they think when they're young. None of us go, you know what I want to do? I want to make some really bad financial decisions and bankrupt my family. Nobody wakes up and decides they, they decide they want to do that. So how do so many people end up in debt and addiction and sin and lose their marriage and lose their children and lose their job and lose their friends? How, how do they end up in, in complete disrepair? particularly believers. How do they end up there? Not because they woke up one morning and decided, I'm going to sin against God today. That is not how it happens. It happens because they just drift. One day they, they don't open the Word of God to have their quiet time. They just drift. And one Sunday they decide, I'm not going to go to church today. And they just drift. They still pray when they're in trouble, but they don't have a vibrant prayer life. They don't have a life group. They have no place of fellowship with other believers. If they did anything with anybody in accountability, they don't do that anymore. Man, it's no big steps. It doesn't happen rapidly. It happens a little here and a little there, a day at a time, and then days a week, and then it's a month. I mean, it's nothing big. They just drift. You know, there are people that used to be at Emmanuel every Sunday, every Sunday, and they haven't been here for years. They didn't decide, I'm going to quit going to Emmanuel. They just drifted. And one day they find themselves in a very dark place. And they think, how did I get here? And they just drifted out of the light, out of passion, out of love, out of purpose. The, the Christian life is kind of like being in a rowboat. And in a rowboat, you gotta, you gotta, it's intentional process, right? You're going upstream. The world is against you, and you're using the oars to pull to get to where you need to go. It's the, it's the discipline of the Christian life. I'm going to read God's Word. I'm going to be with other believers. I'm going to be in prayer. I'm going to have accountability. And you're doing that. But what happens to us inevitably somewhere along the way is one day we're just tired. And the moment that you pull the oars in, the current of life, the deceit of the world, and the evil one just pulls you into the drift. And if that's you this morning, what I want to say to you is there are times in your life when you need to stop and repair the altar of the Lord. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe this is what God's brought you here this morning to have, you, to have him say to you, for you to hear 
you're just drifting. You didn't murder anybody, haven't committed adultery, didn't rob a bank. But you think to yourself, I don't, I don't have any passion for the Lord. I, 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 I'm not singing any praises. I don't really find myself wanting to serve the Lord. And you're disconnected because you drifted. Well, the story's a pretty great story. So he rebuilds the altar of the Lord. Verse 33 says, And he put the wood on it, and he cut the bull into pieces, and he laid it on the wood. And then he says, Fill four jars of water and pour it on the burnt offering in the wood. Now these are like five-gallon jars. And, and so they do it. And then he says, Do it a second time. They do it a second time. He says, Do it a third time. He do it a third time. And the water ran around the altar, and it filled up the trench. He had, he had dug a trench around this altar because he knew he was going to do this. Now by the way, this is a three and a half years. It hasn't rained. Water's worth way more than gold, and he just pours it out on the on the wood and the bull and the rocks, and it fills up the trench around it. And at the time of the evening offering, Elijah the prophet he comes near, and this is his prayer: "O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and I am your servant." There's a verse to underline that I've done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and you have turned their hearts back. Now, if you think, sometimes when you think about Elijah or someone like that, you think, oh, man, what a mighty prayer warrior. It's a 62-word prayer. And you can read it in 20 seconds. It It is not a long prayer. And as a matter of fact, you get the impression when you read it that he's really not at the end of the prayer. God just interrupts the prayer. Wouldn't that be a great prayer life? That your prayer life is so good that you don't even get done. And God says, yeah, I'm going to answer that for you. That's exactly what happens. So it says in verse 38, Then the fire of the Lord fell, and it consumed the burnt offering. That was the contest. The contest is that the God who answered by fire and burned that particular bull, he would be good. So God did that. He answered the prayer. The contest is over, but it's not. He consumed the burnt offering and the wood. Remember, it was really, really wet wood. Ever try to start a campfire with really wet wood? God did it just fine. No problem. And he burned up the stones. Wait a second. When you don't want the fire to spread out of the campfire, what do you put around it? You put rocks around it because fire can't burn a rock unless it's the fire from God. And then it says it not only burned the offering and the wood and the stones, it burned the dust. I'm telling you, this is a wonderful fire. How many of you ladies would like to have this fire in your house right now? Some of you didn't even get that. Your houses are so dusty. And you're like, dust? Oh, dust! And it licked up the water. Wait a second. Water puts out fire, right? Not Not this fire. It licked up the water that was in the trench And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces. And they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he's God. Last principle. Now, we've been doing principles ever since Joseph now. So all the way through. If you can only remember one principle, here's the principle you got to get. The one principle that you must live by is what Elijah prays right here. You are God. 
and I am your servant. You are God. I want to say to you this morning, you're not God. You're not the boss of your life. If you think you can do whatever you want, then go home, get up on the roof of your house, run and jump off and fly. You don't make the laws. You don't determine right and wrong. God determines righteousness and iniquity. God's the one who creates the world. God's the one who holds back the oceans from flooding over us. You're not God. You don't decide your own morality. You don't decide, this is what's right for me. Oh, I'll I'll worship my God and you worship your God. There's only one God. He gave us his word. He revealed himself. The beginning of all of these principles is you've got to figure out, I'm not God. I'm not the ruler of my life. I'm not the master of my own domain. I'm not the king of my domain. I'm just his servant. And the step of salvation, the step of obedience, is when I acknowledge in my humility my sinfulness and my iniquity, and I come to the cross of Christ where this God who loved me so much and knew that I had broken myself by violating his laws and his commandments, came and loved me and forgave me and restored me and healed me, and that God will do it for you if you'll say yes to him. That's what he does. That's why he sent his son. He doesn't just watch you break yourself. He comes to restore you, to reconcile you to God. There's one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. He did that on the cross. That's what he wants for you. He's longing to call you into relationship with him with passion and love and joy and purpose. But you've got to forsake the idea that you call the shots. You've got to quit that. You have to acknowledge you are God and I am your servant. I want to ask for every head to be bowed and every eye to be closed. Is it possible that you're here this morning and you've never done that? You've never asked Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. In fact, you've never really thought that God had any right in your life. And you kind of thought going to church, I just do that for my mom. I do it for my dad. But I, I don't really get it. That's not me. And now, this morning, the Holy Spirit of God has spoken to you. And you realize why your life has got trouble in it. And you realize some of the bumps and bruises of life and how they came about. And you realize that that God loves you with an everlasting love. And he's asking you to come to him through Jesus Christ. This morning you can ask Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins. Come into your heart and soul. And the scripture says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And in just a little bit when we fill our response cards, if that's the decision you've made, we want you to check that box. We'll help you with that decision. Maybe you're here this morning and you're a believer. But let's be honest, you've been drifting. You've been drifting away from the Word, drifting away from the Lord, drifting away from this fellowship of believers, drifting away from your life group, drifting away from even believing there's right and wrong. You've drifted and drifted, and it's time for you to stop and repair the altar of the Lord. Isn't it time that you come back? Isn't it time that you rededicate yourself to Him? And for every one of us in this room, there's not too many times that we can just stop and remind ourselves, you are God and I am your servant. Pray that to the Lord right now. Lord, you're my God. You're the God. And I am your servant. Your servant hears. Your servant listens. And I'll do what you tell me. Well, um, you know, normally when somebody says, I'm going to tell you the end of the story, they they tell you in somebody's life, they tell you how they die. That's what Bill O'Reilly does. He just tells you about the killing of this person and the killing of that person. Uh, There's... This story doesn't end like that. Elijah doesn't die. 
Elijah's one of only two documented people that never died. Enoch never died. The scripture says he walked with the Lord, and then he just went home with the Lord. He, he was walking with the Lord, and one evening the, the Lord said to him, you know, Enoch, we're closer to my place than yours. Why don't you just come home with me? And Elijah never died. The scripture says Elisha, his protege, the one he was mentoring, was following him. They crossed the Jordan, and then a fiery chariot came down from heaven. Now this is the guy who called fire down from heaven. And so a fiery chariot comes down and kind of knocks Elisha one way, picks up Elijah, and Elijah doesn't die. He goes to heaven in a, in a fiery chariot. And it's a picture, it's an Old Testament picture of the rapture. Because in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul says, we won't all die. He says, he says we won't all die. He's talking about, he actually says sleep, but he's talking about death. He says, but we will all be changed in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the trumpet call of God. The Scripture says there's going to be people alive when Jesus returns, and we will be caught up, like Elijah, to meet the Lord in the air. I, I, I'm not a hairy man. I just now got to the place where I shave every day. I don't wear camel skin. I've never walked in the Oval Office and pronounced it wasn't going to rain. But the scripture says that in the last days we can have the spirit of Elijah. We can be prophets like Elijah, declaring the word of the Lord. And when the trumpet call comes, in the moment, in the twinkling of eye, we'll be caught up to be with the Lord. And John says, even so, come quickly. Go in the peace of God. Thank you for listening to audio from Emmanuel Baptist Church, located in Billings, Montana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Emmanuel, please visit us online at www.myemmanuel.net.